We are so thankful uh, that you chose to make this time together part of your Christmas celebration. We like having these family services. I uh, love that uh, we can have the kids in here as well. And just so you know, I am very used to children's interruptions. And so uh, don't feel bad if your kid starts making noise. Uh, it's okay. I'm, I'm very used to it. If, if you get uncomfortable with it, you can uh, take them out. But uh, I, we welcome those interruptions tonight because Christmas is about being together as a family and teaching them to worship Jesus. And one of my sons is sitting in the aisle right now towards the back, which is wonderful. He can stay right there, Zayden, if you want to. That's great. Uh, there, there, there's lots of things to enjoy uh, this time of year. And obviously, as a parent, I see things more and more through the eyes of my kids and what they enjoy this uh, time of year. Uh, my kids enjoy driving through neighborhoods and looking at houses uh, that are decorated and lit up for Christmas. Uh, so much better than driving through neighborhoods during the Halloween season, but that's beside the point. Uh, the only issue uh, that came up while looking at Christmas lights this year is that when we would drive home to our house, which does not have any Christmas lights on it, uh, my three-year-old Zayden would remind me, Daddy, we forgot to buy Christmas lights for our house. And, and you see, uh, he doesn't realize that we didn't exactly forget <laughs> Uh, we just have chosen at this stage of our lives to enjoy other people's lights instead. And maybe you have made that choice as well, right? And so, so thank you to all of you who decorate your houses for Christmas. Really appreciate it. If yours is really good and we haven't seen it yet, let me know. And maybe we'll take them, maybe we'll take them within the next week uh, because they love it. And we really appreciate you doing that for us uh, since that's not the stage of life that we are currently in. But, but lights are intended to attract and then direct our attention. Look here, right? You, you go to a concert and the room is dark and all the lights are on the stage, right? Because that's where they want you to look. Look here. And that's exactly how a light in the sky was used when Jesus was born. Look here. A, sh a star shining over this little town of Bethlehem, getting the attention of Magi, most likely all the way in Babylon, come here and look. And that's what we want to do tonight. My hope is that our time together serves as a bright light that attracts and directs your attention to Jesus. We want to focus on him because the Christmas story is more than just a comforting thought. Uh, Trevor Muir said, it is a demand for our attention and a demand for an answer about what you believe about Jesus. And, and that's why we've spent the month of December uh, looking at who Jesus is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, what child is this? Well, Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If, if you believe that those verses are true, 
that in everything, Jesus has preeminence, uh, which means he surpasses everything else in significance and priority. That's what preeminence is, surpassing everything else in significance and priority. Then Christmas must be more than just a commercial holiday. It must be more than movies and sitting on Santa's lap and matching pajamas and opening presents, and those are all great things. The wonder of Christmas is not found in lights and trees and neatly wrapped gifts. And it isn't just found in a baby in a manger. The wonder of Christmas is found in the realization that the baby in the manger is so much more than just a baby. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has and deserves preeminence in everything, came to be with us. Think about the responses to his birth that were, recur- that were encouraged in the songs that we sang tonight. Maybe you noticed this, maybe you didn't. We sang, worship Christ, the newborn king. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord. Haste, haste to bring him laud. Bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices, O night divine. I would just like to point out that, that this is slightly different than your average birth announcement. Wouldn't you agree? It's not typically what responses are encouraged. And, and I would suggest two possibilities. Either the significance of this event has been greatly exaggerated, and the writers of these songs are too easily excitable, or the king who is worthy of our worship and our allegiance has arrived. Jesus uh, the, Jesus is presented in Scripture uh, as someone who demands more than just a response of, oh, wow, cute baby, right? Or, or wow, that's a pretty song. Or as he gets older, oh, wow, he's a good teacher. Right? The, the, the Scripture presents him as the one who surpasses everything else in significance and priority, and he is here. He is among us. He is with us. And if Jesus is the Savior of the world, then he deserves more than just a measured response. Uh, Brett McCracken said, Our response to Jesus is not just about admiration or appreciation. It demands allegiance. We must enthrone him in our hearts and submit to his reign. And if we don't, he is just a holiday symbol, as pleasant yet powerless as lights and Christmas trees. And if you are unsure if Jesus is worthy of your worship and preeminence in your life, if you're not sure if he should surpass everything else in significance and priority, I would just like to share with you the reason why Jesus has preeminence in my life. And that's because the person and work of Jesus makes the greatness of God great for us. Jesus makes the greatness of God great for us. And that was always God's plan, by the way. God created the world through Jesus, and he designed it for us to have a perfect relationship with him. He placed Adam and Eve in a garden where they could enjoy him and enjoy his creation. 
he, he, without guilt and without shame because there was no sin. And that lasted a couple chapters in our Bibles. And then Genesis 3 ruined everything. The serpent tempted Eve. And instead of God being preeminent in Adam and Eve's minds, they prioritized what they could see and taste and hear in that moment. They valued the serpent's word over God's word, and that's when sin entered the world. And then God showed up, and Adam and Eve's response to God appearing says it all in Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Because a holy God can't be in the presence of sinful people, and sinful people don't want to be in the presence of a holy God. And from that moment on, the greatness of God didn't seem so great for us. Man's relationship with God was marked by fear and distance and separation because salvation was needed. Even the place where God's presence on earth was later represented, the Holy of Holies in, in the temple among his people Israel, it was set up in such a way so as to reinforce the reality that God is indeed great, but that greatness requires distance from people like us. So Gentiles and ceremonially unclean Jews can only come so far, and women can only get a little closer unless they needed to make a sacrifice, and Ritual washings had to be done for even the Levitical priests to enter into the holy place. But even then, there was this veil, a big keep out sign that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And only once a year could the high priest enter and make a sacrifice on the mercy seat. There was this constant reminder that God is great, but his greatness sets us apart from him. Because of our sin, we can't come in. We need someone to save us from ourselves, to rescue us from our fall, to make the greatness of God great for us. The Old Testament shares stories of inadequate rescuers. There were prophets, there were priests, there were judges, there were kings, but they were all broken by sin as well, unable to bring about a lasting solution to our persistent problem. But even as God's people would cyclically rebel again and again, the prophets who were promising judgment for sin were also promising salvation from it for God's people. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Salvation is promised here, and, and God's greatness is going to be great for us. That's the promise. His greatness will be great for us. And then after years of waiting, hundreds of years without even a prophecy from God, when the fullness of time had come, an angel appears to a virgin named Mary and says this in Luke 1, 30-33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be 
great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, his greatness will be great for us. The night of Jesus' birth, angels appear to announce the news to insignificant, ceremonially unclean shepherds. Shepherds that would not have been allowed anywhere near the presence of God in the temple, by the way. And now they are being given an invitation to come and to see God in flesh. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is great news for you. The chorus of the angel song that night was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God's greatness is great for us because salvation is here. I find it interesting that we view what the shepherds did that night in a positive light. We sing songs about it. We, 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 we look at the shepherds and view what they did positively, right? They run to meet Jesus, and then they go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. And have you, under, have you ever wondered, why isn't the narrative of the shepherds' actions that these irresponsible, delusional shepherds abandoned their sheep, claiming an angel told them to look for a baby that was just born? But why isn't that the perception? It's because your perception of their actions is based on your belief about who they were going to see. Why isn't the narrative, supposedly wise men foolishly make the costly decision to plan a year-long trip to meet a toddler and give him very impractical gifts? Who gives a toddler gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Those are terrible gifts for a toddler. Please don't give my children gold, frankincense, and myrrh for Christmas it's not a good gift for them. Your, your perception of those actions is based on your belief about the one they were giving those gifts to. If Jesus makes the greatness of God accessible and great for us, then he deserves all of the gifts, right? He deserves everything that we can give. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, he convinced young men to give up their jobs they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, other things, and they followed him around for three years. And we look at that, and we often criticize those disciples for not trusting Jesus even more. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal for him. In other words, he's saying Jesus is so valuable that he's not even worthy to be his servant. There's an account in the Bible of a woman pouring out a ridiculously expensive perfume on Jesus. And even the disciples were disgusted, thinking that it was a waste. And Jesus himself said that what the woman had done was beautiful because he was worth it. There is no gift that can be given that will exceed what he is worthy of. Because on a real day in history, not just once upon a time, in a real place, not on a snowflake inside of a snow globe, in a city that still exists today over 2,000 years later, Jesus, 
the one who created the world and sustains the world, came on a rescue mission to the world that he had made for the people who had left him. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords traded his throne for a manger to make the greatness of God great for us. So angels sang, and shepherds came, and magi gave, and they were right because that's what the King of Kings deserves. And it wasn't just a holy night. Jesus wasn't just a holy child of Mary at his birth. He lived the perfect holy life that you and I should have lived. He lived among sinners but was himself separate from sin. He is the image of the invisible God. The exact imprint of his very nature, the author of Hebrews says. If you want to see the greatness of God, look at Jesus. If you want to see the character of God, look at the character of Jesus. And if you want to see the salvation of God, look at the sacrifice of Jesus. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He took the just punishment for all of our sin on himself at the cross. He paid the debt that you and I could not afford to pay, and then he rose from the dead. Jesus conquered sin and the grave. This is Jesus, King of glory, here to rescue from the fall, Son of God who comes to save us, Prince of Peace, and Lord of all. The good news we have tonight is that no matter what you have done, no matter your guilt or regrets, the good tidings of great joy I have to share is that if you place your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, making him the king of your life, then all your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to your account. You become part of the eternal kingdom of God and of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end because Jesus makes the greatness of God great for us. This is why Jesus is preeminent in my life, at least why he deserves to be. And this is why we come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king, because the Savior we needed and the Savior we were promised is the Savior who came and is coming again. And there is no more important question to answer than the question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What, what child is this? Has the significance of his birth been greatly exaggerated? And are the writers of these songs overly excitable? Or is this, this Christ the King, whom shepherds laud and angels sing? Haste, haste to bring him, laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Bring him incense, gold, and more. Bring myrrh, bring him your life. He deserves all of it. He's worthy of all of it. Because the King of Kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Christmas is the celebration of the significance and priority of Jesus. Do you believe that? Christmas is the celebration of the significance and the priority of Jesus. He deserves preeminence in everything, including your life. One concern I have at Christmas is that these messages and these services, they can just sort of get lost in the flow of traditions. So maybe we get dressed up, we're 
together with our family, and, and we sing carols, and we hear Luke chapter 2, and we light our candles, and then we're going to go eat dinner, and we're going to open presents. Some of you are going to get to open presents tonight and not even have to wait till Christmas Day. <laughs> There's character development and waiting until Christmas Day, but that's beside the point right now. Right? And all these things are great. All these things are great. I love Christmas. As long as they serve as the means to the greater ends of worshiping Jesus as king. Because that's what he is worthy of. And so as we come to this time uh, when we are going to light our candles and sing Silent Night, I don't want this simply to be a tradition that gives us momentary warm, fuzzy feelings. Right? My hope is that we will recognize that this room is going to be an outward picture of what Jesus came to do in our hearts. He came to bring eternal peace. He came to bring light to the darkness of our sinful souls. He is the Son of God, loves pure light, radiant beams from his holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at his birth. Jesus, Lord, at his birth. We are going to be singing to the one who always was and always will be the king of kings. And I'm praying that he is preeminent in your life. I'm praying he's the king of your life. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus, I pray that you will receive the greatest gift in all the world this Christmas and receive Jesus as your savior if you've never done that and you want to talk to somebody, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. We have other people here that would love to, to tell you how you can accept Jesus as your king. There's no better decision you could ever make. There's no better gift that you could ever receive. I want you to know tonight that God is not far away. He is not distant. He is with us. And his greatness is great for us. So let me pray for us. And as I do, the men that are going to be Helping us with our candles will come forward as well. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can celebrate Jesus tonight. Thank you that your greatness does not mean that we have to be separated from you forever because of our sin, but that Jesus came and made the greatness of God great for us who place our faith in him. And so I pray that we would not just give you a momentary glance this Christmas. I pray that you would not just be another holiday tradition. I pray that you would surpass everything else in significance and priority in our lives. I pray that you would be preeminent, that we would give you the worship that you deserve as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if there's anyone here tonight that has never placed their faith in Jesus, I pray tonight would be the night that they receive the greatest gift they could ever receive and accept you as their forgiver and their leader. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you. for shining your light into the darkness of our hearts. And I pray that even this, this time as we light our candles and we sing this song, 
I pray that it would be an act of worship to you and you alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.